So if you're a hard surface artist and you want to be a character artist, how do you make that transition? How do you do it? But you have to start exactly with the same way you started with, yeah. with hard surface. You have to start building stuff and you have to start the, the basics and then accept that for a certain amount of time you're going to suck at it. You're listening to Art Heroes Podcast, the show to help you thrive as a digital artist. Tune in to learn how to transform your passion into a career. Get inspired by other kick-ass 2D and 3D artists and find out what it takes to be an art hero. Welcome to the Art Heroes Podcast, guys. This is episode 5 and I'm your host, Maria JD. And today we're having Brandon McCaffrey, an amazing 3D key art artist from Ireland who's currently based in Spain and has an amazing story to share. Brandon has been in the industry since 1996 that is literally before even zbrush existed and brendan has so much to share one amazing thing about brendan is that he never stops learning i know brendan also because he was one of the students at art heroes academy stylized character course and if you're watching this video on youtube you're seeing the images of brendan's final project isn't it amazing I'm leaving the show notes link just here so that you could also check it out. And by the way, the next intake of the Stylist Character course starts really, really soon. On 19th of January is the first class. So guys, if you're into characters or if you want to get into characters, go check it out. We'd love to have you all on board on the next two-month Stylist Character Intensive. Go to academy.artheroes.co for more information on that. And meanwhile... Let's dive into everything that we can learn from Brendan. All right, Brendan, thanks for coming to the podcast. Uh, it's amazing to have you here. As like, traveled all this way. <laughs> Better be good. Exactly. <laughs> Better be good. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah so, I like this town though, Las Palmas. Exactly. It's amazing, right? Like, uh, how long have you been here? Sixteen years now. Oh my god, sixteen yeah. years seems like a long time. Yeah, I, the way you said it, it sounded like sixty. <laughs> no. We know it's not 60. No, I mean, no, it's not. It's 60. You're, you're not that old, right? No, no, Jesus, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, right. Not yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Like, you know, by the time uh, we hit. 2030 probably there is technology for you know for all of us to live for I don't know 600 well, years I don't know that's what it's looking like so yeah hopefully yeah I don't know okay right so this talk is not about technology today we're oh, actually really? well, we're gonna touch the, touch the base there as well okay. but uh, um, why we're having you here is because uh, you're a good friend of mine let's start okay. from there but you're also an amazing artist and you're doing great stuff with uh, you know with your skill so uh, that's what we definitely want to explore more in detail today. Okay. Okay, right. So like, let's just start from the basics. Uh, we'll have some of your work on the show, on like link to this, but uh, you know, like, can you just quickly, you know, like maybe describe your style? Like what do you do with, you know, with your art? What would you, how would you describe yourself as an artist? Okay. Um... I think it's really simple. I'm, I'm a commercial artist, so okay. I work uh, for clients producing work that they're going to use in promotion and stuff. So I don't really consider myself a pure artist in that respect. So I've been mostly working in either video games or toys or products for the last, I'd say, 10 years. 
Uh, originally, I started off doing other types of 3D art mm -hmm. illustration. Uh, did a lot of architecture, did a lot of product design. Mm -hmm. uh, I came from a product design background, so I think that influences everything I've done. And it's because, okay, uh, my experience is in product design, so it's what I know best. Okay. And everything I've done has been an extension of that, but I've tried to always push beyond just being limited uh, as a product designer or as a, or as a person who's doing, or an artist who's doing product or, or architecture visualization. So I've always like wanted to do things like book covers. Book covers were like, I remember when yeah. I was maybe 16 or 17 years old, that's what I wanted to do because I was really into science fiction. Okay. So, and, and have you I done also, any book covers? Actually, yeah, I've done one. <laughs> <laughs> I have just, a science just, fiction book, yeah. Okay, so now can you say that it ticked? Yeah, I've ticked that box and I'm actually really happy I've done that. But over the years, it's kind of evolved and as books have become less important, and uh, video games, for instance, have become more important, like, let's say, not culturally, but you know, more, mm -hmm. more prevalent. And books have gotten more digital, I think. Uh, there's also a whole, you could talk about how the industry works in terms of book covers and commissions and all of that. It's quite difficult and, and quite restrictive in terms yeah. of your budget or, or time to yeah. do those kind of things now. So you go naturally where, or at least I've gone naturally where I've found that I'm making the most uh, use of either my skills or my time. Yeah. And that's been been in video games or been yeah. toys particularly been very good for me. So now you're mostly either in toys or in video games. Yeah, I mean that's what I like aspire to doing anyway. So uh, video game promo art or video game key art is what we call it. And okay. toys toys well the same thing. It's basically the same thing regardless of the industry. In yeah, fact yeah, yeah. when you talk about products or you talk about advertising, mm -hmm. I've done quite a lot in the advertising realm as mm -hmm. well. It's pretty much the same thing. What would be a typical like project of yours? You know, like you know, like the the most uh, repetitive thing that you do for clients. Probably key art. Key art. Yeah, key art. Okay. So like key art would be you take uh, a game, a toy, and you create a piece of art that speaks to to what the thing is. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. a key art, for instance, for video games, it's like a what we call a window into the game. Yeah. It's not representative of the game, like a key, a, a, a screenshot would be, or a, or a piece of, of playthrough would be. Mm -hmm. But key art is like aspirational. Okay. So what you do so like a piece of marketing material. Yeah. That speaks for the game. Yeah, yeah, and it's like it's the face of the game for the majority of customers. Probably the first thing they see or are. In, certainly in advertising, it's what's used prevalently in, in the web or in posters, point of sale as well. So yeah. it has to have a certain amount of impact as well. So yeah. key art is like, you know, something that draws your attention immediately. Like any good book cover as well. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing. Like, so eventually yeah. that's where book covers are, right? So then probably well, you've done more than one. <laughs> well, yeah, in, in a way. But I, I just, I come to think differently about the whole the whole concept of book covers. Like it doesn't matter that it's on a book, really. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's it's the purpose of it. At the, at the end of the day, whether it's a toy or whether it's a game or whether it's a book or whether it's yeah. any piece, mostly and that's why I call myself a commercial artist. It's not uh, it's not about selling art for art's sake, or it's not about creating art even for art's sake. Although there's an element of creativity, an element of artistry involved in it. 
it's more about actually at the end of the day selling something sure. and, and, and helping other people achieve their goals yeah because that's what that's what you do as an artist as well mostly is you help other people uh, well maybe as a commercial artist yeah that's yeah what you do. commercial realm yeah you're definitely helping other people achieve their goals yeah and so then what will be you know like uh, we've, we've just spoken about like you know your typical project what would be the one project that you've done i don't know like uh professionally that you would be like most proud of or something that you know like that you can that you you know uh frequently remind yourself of or yeah yeah i think that that's a good thing i think most artists have something that they've done in the past that they go back to and it's a yeah i did really a good job there and it like it went beyond the yeah, exactly just to tap yourself and back. I, I, yeah <laughs> and sometimes it's just to to reinvigorate yourself you go back to that work and you say okay yeah this is like one piece that i did uh, I I can point to one particular piece, and I did it in probably 2006, and it was the front cover for MotoGP 07, if I'm not mistaken. I don't even know. I'm not really sure about uh -huh. it. It was MotoGP, but one of the years. And it was um, Valentino Rossi in his yellow uh, Yamaha kit uh, with a, the bike. It was a very extreme angle as well, and he was looking over his shoulder. And that was, for me, it was also... It's not the best work I've done. I've done way better, way way more complex stuff, but it gels in a way that I, I really like. And it's a combination of color, the form, the, the composition, everything really worked really well in that particular image. Now I do look back on it and go, uh, if I had a week more, I could have done like a ton of other things. I modeled the, the figure in Maya at the time and obviously like, having learned ZBrush in the interim, I'd go back and I would do it a completely different way. I would have way more detail. I could apply uh, the knowledge I have now to that. Yes. I know I could have done a way better job, but I still go back to that image. I still use it as my avatar everywhere. Really? So yeah, it's oh, That's right. Now I know what's your you avatar know, like. Oh, one, right? Yes, of course. Yeah. The, the yellow guy. Yeah, the yellow guy. Yeah, That's the one. Right. And, and I think for me, it's definitely about the attitude of the character in that pose kind of uh, mm -hmm. and everything about that the art direction that was uh, the feedback I got from the client as well in that pushed it towards that okay. there are other covers that I did for the MotoGP series that I'm like pretty pretty forgetful you know I don't I don't really think too much about them even though I know some of them are even technically better yeah. They're better lighting, better modeling and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and whatnot. But somehow there's a, like a this uh you know, what's that French word? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean like uh, I personally think that technical perfection doesn't always mean the best the best no, quality no, artistically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes the simplest things can work in a way that complex things can't. For sure, can't for sure. Do. So I do look back on that and I think that that's like a keystone. And I think it's also a keystone moment for me because it was one of, wasn't the first game cover I did, but it was the first game cover I did that was um, a success for me. And that I used that to go on and do almost everything else I did in the games industry. Right. Okay. So uh, it, it was a springboard for me in a way. I had done previously, I'd done the MotoGP cover the year before. Yeah, okay. But it was a, uh, I don't think the 
the artwork that I did made the cover. I think that was the difference. It was it was on the back of the box, or it was the inside of the box, or something. But that was the the first actual cover cover that I that I did. So also professionally yeah. for you, that's definitely like a milestone. Yeah, it was because also previously, and I think in two thousand and five, I'd done Ace Combat, and what I'd done with Ace Combat was kind of a sort of a half job. Um, I took artwork that had been done in Japan and uh, I had to replace parts of the, the the artwork for it to be sold in Europe. Right. So it was, okay. was an airplane that was and it was a significant job because it was the first time even any part of my artwork was used in in a cover. Mm -hmm. And I remember when it came out in the shop at the time it was like, you know, this, yes. is, this <laughs> is crazy. I can't believe I've done this. Awesome. And it was again it was like pretty cool modeling job that I did at the time. I was I was very proud of the, the work. But then I think as an artist, when you see something that you you know, okay you've contributed part of, it doesn't have the same impact for you as something that you've uh, completely created and it's completely yours. You own it. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can totally understand that. And uh, you know, like uh, we'll definitely put the link to the uh, to the uh, image on yeah. the show notes. Right. Uh, and I think like I haven't actually seen the whole thing, um, but I would be really curious and like looking at the you know the the complete picture. But yeah. I know the yellow man really, really yellow well man, because yeah. it's like everywhere on your social profiles. Yeah, yeah, I use it <laughs> everywhere. I use it absolutely everywhere. Now we solve the mystery <laughs> of the yellow guy. Yeah, but that's why it means so much to me. I use it because it means so much to me. And, yeah. And I continue to. I've often been tempted to go back and like work it again uh -huh. and do more, you know, make, make it. But I think there's like a purity in just, you know, Drawing a line under something and saying that's it, that's what it was. Sure, you yes, know. of course. It wasn't be like George Lucas going back and like <laughs> redoing Star Wars. You know? Yeah, but at the same time, you know, like uh, to me, it just sounds like a great idea for like you know twenty years later type of project. You yeah. know, just like remake the guy with all oh, yeah. the details that you can add. I have actually done this, not not deliberately, but actually, um, I think. Now I started in '96, maybe '95, in the Three Studio, uh -huh. whatever. And I remember one of the very first projects I did was was a Porsche 911. And okay. <laughs> I, I I did this. I did a rendering of it. Uh huh. And I still have it. I still have this little, and it's a thumbnail sketch. I think I did it 640 by 480, which was the standard render size in '96. <laughs> and that <laughs> oh, took that's like so a day. That took a day to do. <laughs> so then, mm, maybe in, I don't know, maybe 2012, 2013, I did a, I did a project for, for EA, which was Need for Speed. Yeah. And I did a Porsche 911. And wow. I, I had nothing to do with the modeling of the car, really. Yeah. Like the car came to me, like, fully modeled. But I had to, to do the, the key art with that car. And That's and funny, I did, right? And I did... A, even the, the funny thing was that the art direction for it was this Porsche head-on view with the, the, the classic round headlights coming towards you at speed. And I did exactly that image in 96. And I think I put it on Instagram at some point, like a comparison between the two. Yes! And it's like... <laughs> like you guys probably don't even... like Most people who are working in the 3D industry who are like quite young, right? Maybe in their 20s and the yeah. 30s, you know? They don't know that... like. In 1996, pretty much between 96 and 2006, it was like, 
there was nothing. Yeah. I mean, there was Lucky literally nothing because <laughs> there was no learning resources. No, no, no good software as well, which was yeah. obviously a big thing. Yeah, that's such a big hiccup, right? Like yeah, basically. Yeah. What but it's funny called? because you don't see the progression between some. I mean, to a certain extent, you see the the artistic progression. Yeah, yeah, but, but you don't see the technical progression uh, of the software until you like start to compare renders that you did in twenty. 25 years ago. Yeah, yeah, because what, like ZBrush was, ZBrush started in 1999, if I'm not mistaken. Something like that, yeah. And it's relatively new, even in, in, that didn't exist when, sure. I was, when I was learning. Oh, if you said 1996, there's like one of your... But even in I mean, you're talking about, like, say, ZBrush came in and then, but it didn't become, like, yeah. ubiquitous until maybe the mid 2000s. So I remember my first uh, encounter with ZBrush was in Real Time UK. Okay. I went to work there for a few months and uh, I had an opportunity to work on uh, a Sega title it was mm -hmm. called The Club, sort of a forgettable fighter game. So that was in 2000s? That was in 2007. Okay. That was the first time I ever touched yeah. ZBrush, it was, but it was a complete revelation in terms mm -hmm. of what, what you could do and, uh, and I could see the benefit there, but pretty much before that. I kind of heard of it. I'd seen a few pictures from it coming mm -hmm. out, like something with like mega detail. Yeah. And I was like, okay, ZBrush can do like this amazing <laughs> mega detail. You know? <laughs> okay. That you couldn't do anywhere else. Sure. Like, it was impossible. So let's talk a little bit about this black hole that was before, <laughs> yeah. before everything became possible. Yeah. So what was it like for you, like, you know, just uh, um, before uh, you became a full-time digital artist? Uh, what did you like? How did you transition to this career? Even? Oh, I went straight from university to become a full-time digital artist. Okay. Yeah, but the fact is that there was no course that okay. was like digital art in that time. So it was 1996. I went into university in 1991. Okay. And I started doing mechanical engineering. Okay. Because, and with the with the idea that I was going to become an aeronautical engineer because I love planes. Yeah. I love designing planes, I love building model planes. I had hundreds of them in my, <laughs> my room. I, I spent my, my childhood either building Lego or building uh, scale models and painting them. So it was like a natural progression, obviously. Yeah. And then when you look at what's available for you, because that's what all kids did at the time, they're like, you go to your guidance counselor and they say, okay, here's the courses that are available. Yes. Here's what's your, what you're good at. Uh, oh yes, you got good marks in maths and physics. Yeah, you better be an engineer. So, but the fact is, when I was in my first year of secondary school, I wanted to do art. Yeah. And I was told very clearly by my vice principal that I was wasting my time, that there's no jobs in art, and I should go and you know focus on concrete things like sure. maths. Sure. It's and like, boy, physics. don't disappoint your mother. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, my mother was great, and in fact, when I finally decided I wanted to be an artist, my father was like wholeheartedly behind me. And um, really, yeah, I was in. I I'd done a year in university. I think maybe even a year and a half, and I was like, I did a course in mechanical engineering, and uh, it was design practices. So it was industrial design basically, and then I saw I did this just the one module for eight weeks, but I like completely changed my outlook on mm -hmm. what I wanted to do with my life. It was just literally like, I didn't know anything before then. I didn't mm -hmm. know what there was. I, I had only listened to people telling me that there's no jobs in art. 
and then I encountered industrial design, which is like it's a it's a curious mixture of of this uh, uh, art and, and engineering. Okay. So. I had, I think I had, I gelled with it so much because I think that's how I am. I'm like, I'm not like a pure artist. I'm not a fine artist, painter, sculptor, yeah. or something like that. But, uh, but I'm not a pure engineer either. So I'm not like just interested in making things work. Although I love, I love aspects of that, and I love aspects of, of creative art. And then that's where I kind of found a niche initially. So I said, okay, that really gels with me. Let's try that. Right. And I decided to like drop, drop uh, my pen on engineering and say, okay, I'm going, to do, I'm going to do industrial design. And it's curious because there's no way I'd be where I am today doing what I love if I hadn't made that decision then. And I could only have made that decision then because of a curious coincidence. It was my, my university actually was not an art university at all, but the course, the industrial design course, being run by the Art University in Dublin, and they had a they had a kind of a year. The first year of the course, they spent doing engineering type things. So we we met, we kind of crossed over a little bit, uh, but it was like just just for that year. And I managed by some bureaucratic mm -hmm. coincidence to be able to shift from one to the other, even though I had really really no right to go to art school because I had never presented a portfolio. I didn't go through the usual. Uh, selection process, which is quite stringent, to get into an art. Such a an free writer, you are. I'm totally <laughs> free road into it, and not only that, it of course was full. Of course, and you can't change courses a lot of the time when the course is full. And then some guy dropped out. Oh, okay. Kind of by, and it was like that confluence of of circumstances that allowed me to just switch. But it was like the key moment in my life. Wow. That okay. everything else, everything else flowed from, and I like, uh, I there's a few of them, like the MotoGP guy as well. They're they're like key moments that yeah. that, that are you know the Steve Jobs sure. talk, what he when he talks about when you look back and you see those moments in your life where things take a turn. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. I can I can identify clearly. Even wow. I remember very clearly the day that I decided that oh, I'm going to do this. And okay. It was, it was a huge decision for me because okay. the idea of abandoning a, a solid career to do something completely unknown and untested and I didn't know anyone who did this I didn't yeah. there was no there was no all the artists I knew and I knew yeah. a few artists when I was growing up they were like you know weird yeah, yeah, of course, and artists, that's the thing, like, I think... And, and mostly bums as well. The like, traditional artists and digital artists have, the like, absolutely different no, profiles. And totally. Like, like, exactly, like, we don't hang out with weirdos. Well, I do now. <laughs> well, apparently <laughs> I do now as well. <laughs> so, yeah, you, it was a huge risk to do that. And I, I remember phoning my father because I was away in university and yeah. I, like, I, I presented this idea to him and he said, yeah, is that what you want to do? I said, yeah. yeah, it's like... Wow, interesting. It's like, do it. Don't look back. Do it. So what was your first then, you know, like, an first actual like paid job? Uh, my first paid job was a year before I went to, uh, finished university rather, I, I was in my, my third year and I got an internship in in a small company in Galway, and okay. they, were doing, they were doing, in fact this is how I got into 3D art, 
Okay. I, I didn't. I did industrial design, obviously, for four mm -hmm. years. It had nothing to do with three D. In fact, we had computers with AutoCAD on it. You know. Of course. So there was no. There was no three D. Yeah, yeah. So like, like uh, for this internship, were you doing something related with uh, industrial design and stuff? Or well, no. Actually, I was doing. Um, it was a company dedicated to computer graphics. Okay. And yeah, I was doing mostly like. Uh, infographics, and, okay. uh, maybe some architectural, some product work as well. But then I went into this company and they had computers with 3D Studio on it. So I, I okay. was learning 3D Studio for, for the summer, or for okay. uh, it was about six months the internship. Yeah. So okay. I did a, a initially 3D Studio. I just, and in fact, I didn't even learn it. They, they put me at a, at a computer put the 3D Studio Bible down beside me and go, there's was the manual maybe. I think it was the inside 3D Studio or whatever it was at the time. Those those big thick books that, that were very popular in the 1990s for learning software. And they put that beside me and they say, okay, here you Study. go. Study. Learn. Yeah, okay. <laughs> there was no training on the job or anything like that. And uh, uh, But you know what? Um, I opened the book and I opened the software and I started to explore yeah. it. Yeah. And I learned AutoCAD before because I learned it in engineering and I learned it in industrial design. So it was a natural extension from 2D into 3D. When was the last time you used the 3D Studio? 3D Studio. Well, 3D Studio. <laughs> like, well, 10 years? No. No, dear, come on. 20. 20, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were talking about well, I lost the track of time. 95, 95. So that's four, 24 oh, years yeah. ago. Okay. So yeah, and I, but after the internship, I, yeah. I started to to do more. In fact, I went back to university and I started to use the 3D that I learned in the in, mm -hmm. in company then to do my final year project. Okay. And I think it was the first time that anyone had actually used 3D renderings, or maybe one of the first times anyone that somebody used 3D renderings to present designs to to an industrial design course because we were used to doing marker renderings or airbrush renderings or whatever and. Uh, there was a big debate about whether we should even accept 3D renderings as, a, uh, as part of your final project. And I think the idea is that they were very locked into uh, a method. Yes. So there's like where we do sketches with HP pencils and, and big pens, and we do uh, marker renderings, we do pastels, and they, they, that was built into the course. So yes. that, that's what okay. you learn as part of the course. So I think it's logical that they're kind of testing your abilities on the skills that you've learned in the course. But then at four, after four years of, of design, then you know, you, you're really being, you're not being tested on whether you can draw or mm -hmm. whether you can do a marker rendering. You're being tested on the quality of your design work. Okay. So I, yeah. my argument was that regardless of how I present, the design work is the same. Sure. In fact, what it's difficult to argue with that. What three yeah. D allowed me to do is be much more concrete about uh, the design mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, much more definitive. Which is, I mean, in a way, it's good if you have, uh, you know, if you have if you have a good design and yeah. you, you have something that that uh, is thought of to the last detail and you're able to express that in the in the image. But a lot of the time, marker renderings allow you to be a little bit fluffy and allow you to be a little bit vague about details, whereas 3D doesn't. Yeah. 3D makes you pay dearly yeah. if you don't put the detail in. 
Of course. And that's at the end of the day, it's it's uh, yeah, it's a compromise. It's a trade-off. Yeah. So, but I, my argument, I think, won out in the end, and I was allowed to present my 3D renderings. This is so crazy, you know, like how much the technology has evolved, you know, yeah, because yeah. Uh, of course, like I'm very well aware because I'm also the person that also used to use like floppy disks and stuff and uh, you know like uh, and uh, the the internet that connected with this that uh, <laughs> <laughs> 14.4 yeah yeah and you paid a lot of money per minute <laughs> yeah, yeah it was like making a phone call yeah yeah it was like <laughs> so crazy. but it's crazy like you know thinking of the also like art technology also has evolved so much yeah. so like um, talking about technology uh, what's the technology that you use nowadays like, um, what's your stat? Okay, uh, it's changed over the years. Um, but like now, you know, like... Currently, I'm using Maya, predominantly, for modeling, okay. for, for rendering. Uh, V-Ray, of course, because V-Ray is like uh, a staple, whether I use Max or Maya or whatever. And because the majority of the work, the, the end product that I produce are rendered images. So that, that's a really important tool in my pipeline. But then, uh, to support that and to to build what I have is Maya. I have ZBrush obviously is becoming much more important for me. Uh, Substance Painter is like a huge thing, I think. It's probably one of the biggest changes for me. Uh, just even in, in terms of doing clean models. Yeah. So a lot of people use Substance Painter and they're like, you know, there's rust and dirt everywhere. Mostly I don't do that. But <laughs> if I have a nice new product. Yes. <laughs> with big streaks of, of procedural dirt on it. No, the clients are not going to be happy about that. So, yeah, but it's it's important even for adding materials. Yeah. Right? Just, just getting materials right. And I'm doing a lot more with, with Painter now than I used to. Uh, and I use HDR Live Studio. Okay. HDR yeah. Live Studio, again, has been one of those kind of like constants in my, my workflow since about 2009 mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. it first came out. I did beta testing for them on the, first, the very first release. And immediately I could see the, the benefit of it. It's okay. so intuitive. It's like, mm -hmm. it's really the, the best. It's not like, uh, it's a software that's actually developed quite a lot in the years, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really, uh, you know, it's not one of the softwares that does that, everything, but it does something so well, that one thing so well, that it's, it's definitely worth it for me. Uh, mostly I, like I use it almost everything now. Any, any rendering task, any any lighting setup task, I'm using HDR Light Studio. At least, okay. At least in, in, uh, to get overall lighting in, mm -hmm. in, in, in scenes or just to, uh, to completely light scenes. And then, uh, what else? I mean, Photoshop is a yeah. Yeah, classic. I briefly flirted with Infinity mm -hmm. uh, Photo. Okay, and? Mm, went back to Photoshop in the end because this, again, and it's mostly about delivery because I think uh, if you're delivering, and I deliver Photoshop files to, to clients so that there's some retouching, say, afterwards, it's mostly about fitting into pipelines. Okay. So if I have a pipeline, uh, if I'm working with a client who has a definitive yeah, Conversions Photoshop, are a pain. Yeah, and I was going and exporting from Infinity to Photoshop and, and that. But the reason I was using Infinity was actually because, and it's not because of Adobe's subscription model or anything like that, I'm quite happy with that. It's because um, I think Adobe, uh, Adobe Photoshop has just not, um, it's not kept up with the technology. So when you need, uh, or when you see something like Nuke that can deal with 32-bit, 
Uh, it's like right now that linear workflow, 32-bit um, OCIO color uh, ACES, which is like new technologies that no. are coming in for, for managing color. That's where you want to be. And I want, and I'm obviously I work a lot in stills, so I don't do a lot of animation. I do do a lot of video, so I don't use Nuke. And Nuke for me, I, like it's it's overkill for what I do. But then there's nothing in between Nuke and Photoshop that can bridge the gap, that can have the functionality. And also, mm, the nice thing about Nuke then is it's mm, noble networks, so you can build kind of almost procedural compositions and uh, non-destructive compositions, whereas Photoshop is, is kind of, it's, it's good, but it's, it's not like that. Yeah. You know, you, you're, you're still working with layers and you're still working with painting and that um, in a very traditional way that hasn't changed basically since Photoshop version 3, maybe when layers first came in. And I'd like to see something like, almost like Mari, but not texture based, something like Photoshop. So okay. that you could get maybe the functionality of Nuke and the, the options to, to deal with 32-bit compositing in a, in a still environment. So yeah. it's not, it's that's a really good point. I mean, like, that's very interesting. What else do you think you are missing from technology? You know, like, what else would you like to uh, see hitting the market? Um, I, I've struggled with cloud rendering for a okay. long time. Like, I've heard this many times. Vray Cloud is cool, yeah, but um, I, I think it's still it's still in development, obviously, and yeah. still leaves a little bit to be desired. Definitely. Uh, render farms are great, but it's again, it's about the, the the gap between when you hit the button and when things start to happen. That's what we've always looked at reducing. Like when you yeah. hit the render button, you want the image boom there. GPU is. Good, but I I honestly struggle to get anything usable out of GPU because yeah. of the requirements of the the images that I produce. Okay. We're talking about like mega images, yeah. And I don't then have the budget to invest in a like a ten GPU box that's sitting there most of the time sitting there doing nothing. That's the thing, like you know, I think there is so much to be to to like to optimize because so many artists aren't there like need to produce this quality, but at the yeah. same time, you don't have the capacity at home, like... Yeah, but it's come, it's getting there, I think... The, sure, I mean, it's like, everything, like, little by little. Yeah, V-Ray Cloud is, like, is the prototype, you know? Yeah. It's, it's like cloud storage. Yeah. Cloud storage, like, five years ago was nothing. Yeah, know? it was, it was, well, maybe, like, yeah, ten years ago, it was definitely nothing. <laughs> yeah, but you look at the, you look at the trajectory of Google Drive, and Google um, Dropbox, Dropbox, yeah, yeah. Instance, Dropbox, and you see where they were. Yeah, yeah. I sure. saw it just yesterday. I saw the video, the intro video. They were showing it at a tire uh, workshop that I was at, and they were showing the, the very first video that the the, yeah. the inventor of, of Dropbox put up on YouTube or whatever it was at the time. It wasn't YouTube. Uh -huh. uh, and it was like, it was. This is how I want things to be, and it was a vision. It was that. That's what it was. It wasn't. Wasn't a concrete product. He had no product at the time at all. He just wanted to see would people be interested in him developing that product. It wasn't even a prototype. It was like yeah. this is what I would like. So here's the thing: when you come to rendering as well, here's what I would like. And and my my ideal is that nothing. I would like 
absolutely nothing between me and the final image. I would like to press the button. I would like the software to <laughs> just drag buckets in from the, sure. from the internet and just get them to work without, without any, friction. any friction whatsoever. Yeah. Not even, because even cloud, even V-Ray cloud is not frictionless. It's yeah. still uh, another process. We'll get there. Yeah, and I think it will go, because sure. I think that's the vision that a lot of people have. I think yeah. that they want, they just want stuff to work. Yeah. And, and this is, I remember at Total Chaos two years ago, they were talking to me about this exact mm -hmm. concept. It was like, what, what do you want? Yeah. It's like, I just, I don't want to have to deal with uh, X. Like, yeah. I, for instance, in, in rendering, we're like constantly looking for clean images. And there's new technologies like denoisers and, and uh, but also it's like when you're when you're working with V-Ray, now they've reduced the the function to just one button that controls the level of quality, yeah. overall quality of the image. Basically that's they're so smart, those guys. Because they like recognize that people don't want to go in and try and figure out where the noise is or where the, the problems are. They just want the software to do it. Yeah, just work. Yeah, just work. And leave us to actually focus on the creative things. Because that's what the thing is. We're, our attention is divided so much between yeah. managing limitations and managing software, managing uh, difficulties. Sure that we're not focusing on things that are really important and that is like how how amazing you want the image to be yeah. and how beautiful you want it to be what you're saying with the image and uh, like it's like when you're developing a lighting solution for something like you don't want to have to wait five minutes when you tweak a light then you see what the impact of that is you want immediate feedback of course, That's the thing. yeah. Otherwise, it's a struggle. It's it's not enjoyable. But when you have that immediate yeah, you just need to buffer this time. Also, you know, like yeah. in your workflow, like the, yeah, that's true. The wait time, the yeah. time when like you know it accumulates like five minutes and five minutes and five minutes and five minutes. Yeah. It's never time. It's never five actually. No, it's time. not. It's it's always more, and then it's it's disruptive to yeah. your to your workflow, and you, it takes you out of the moment. You know, yeah, it's like yeah. You can't develop a lighting solution. Yeah. Or, uh, particularly on a complex scene, if you don't have almost immediate feedback. Sure. Yeah, talking about workflow, what's yours? Like, you know, like what would be a typical workflow for you? Um, well, on a typical project, I, I start usually directly in 3D. Oh, okay. I, I start building almost immediately. I don't generally go through sketching or any preliminaries. Uh, the, preliminary th the preliminary work I do is largely resource gathering. So I'll identify early in the project what I need later on, and whether that is reference material or whether it's like stock models or whether it's uh, textures or whatever. I'll try to gather all that in in the first phase of the project as much as I can, because then when I actually start building, then it starts to it starts to happen fast. So I'm not stuck in the middle of like, ah, oh, shoot, I need a tree here or something. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. I need a I need a model of a human being and and and, and so on. I like to have everything up organized up front and then once I start then it's like the the magic happens yes sort of. of course of course <laughs> yeah you get into it and then yeah but everything that takes you out of that moment is like to be avoided yeah and that's it when my workflow as well is when I'm sitting down to work 
I clear the desk, I get everything in order, I make sure that if I have one coffee, yeah, yeah, yeah. the coffee's on the table, and then... A row of coffees, like a yeah, line-up. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so sometimes, yeah, yeah. yeah, but I like to be, I like to be very organized in, in both like in my physical space and my digital space. Mm -hmm. So I use, um, I use apps, like I use, I use Pure Ref a lot now, which is uh, kind of... Um, a board, like okay. an image board that stays on top or kind of okay. down. It's not like it's not like a, a folder full of images that you flick between them. It's like just everything on a board, and I lay them out and I put everything in its place, and, uh, okay. and I use that as reference for for anything I need during the project. And um, so that's that's part of my kind of ritual for starting yeah, yeah, yeah. a project. And I think it's like it's important to have a ritual for me. If you I find it difficult to sit down and then just work. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There, I like to start with a little win. Sure. You know. No, I like, absolutely understand. Like, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to get yourself organized, a little win. It's like, it's like when you get up in the, when you get up in the morning, you make your bed. Yeah. It's like that's a little win. It's like okay, now I I can do that. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think it definitely helps you to kind of you know like get in the flow. Yeah. Just like something to get started. And, yeah. uh, and 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 then it flows. Yeah. yeah. So what I like to do is pick the absolutely easiest thing that I know I can do. <laughs> it's like a snowball. That's cheating, Brendan. No, no, it's not. It's not cheating at all. In fact, it's but like in a good it's, way. It's, it's, it's hacking. Hacking. cheating. Oh, it's hacking. hacking. Of course. It's hacking Sorry, my own yes, brain. My you know that's how like kids yes. say it these yeah, days. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> all right. So okay. what you do is you start with okay. If if you have a if you have a model to start with. Like it's like, what is the absolutely simplest thing that I can do right now to get something on the board? That's such a great tip. It's like, okay. Thank you for that. I that, think that's such a great tip. That character is extremely complex, but look, he has he has a I don't know he has an earring. Let's put the earring in first. Boom, the earring is done. Done. And then everything else just starts. Yeah, you know what, this methodology totally works for me as well. Yeah. I think there are two types of people, because there is another way of thinking, is like, you know, eat that frog. So you start with the hardest oh, yeah. thing, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. personally, that never works for me. When no. you start with some like complex project that you're really dreading, I'm just like, you know, I'm just going to procrastinate until yeah. until the day's gone. Well, that's the thing, <laughs> it's, like, it's also called the snowball effect, is that, um, you know, if it's do you know do you know Dave Ramsey, right? Yeah. Yeah, Dave Ramsey's like snowball debt. So you start with the smallest debt first and you pay that off. And he's yes. right, he's absolutely right, because it's about hacking your own brain. It's about telling your brain uh, or, or dictating to your brain. Uh, and it's about first of all getting something done, getting it on the paper is is energizing. Yeah. You feel good about it. And then you feel the next thing. And the next thing, and it's that you start off like that. But when you're faced with like a blank canvas and a big thing to do, you can't you can't even fit it in your mind. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Hundred. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Like if you if you start with building a character and you start like you know okay, uh, this character is like a full realistic human, or it's or it could be a car as well. Yeah. yeah. It's like there's a million parts, and like you go, where the hell do I start? You know, it's like yeah. You know, start, yeah with, no. start with a polygon. Yeah. And then okay, that's the hood. Or that's the bonnet. Yeah. And then so, boom. Yeah, in a little way, little you have it. Yeah. So okay, so since we started like talking about routines, actually that's one of the questions that I also wanted to ask. You know, mm -hmm. like uh, because I know that you work from home and yeah. uh, I mean you're self employed, 
So you kind of yeah. manage your work arrangements. Yeah. So uh, can you tell me a little bit more about your routine? Because I think that's really exciting. I'm a big fan of your day organization because and on all of like stuff you're doing with sports. I think that's amazing and very inspiring being able to balance things. I'm not sure how you self-evaluate yourself, but I yeah, I go through various like phases in my life where as we all do things spiral out of control and then I, yeah, that's fine. And I tighten them back up and then I'm like and then you're too tight and, and then, then I'm running like <laughs> and then yeah and then loosen up and then I like, yeah but then I sort but it's like spin in place you know it's like you have to keep it like a a light touch yes. keep it going and then. Otherwise, it's like just yeah. shh. okay. So they're talking about routines. What's yours like? I mean, like maybe at this point of life. I right. don't know if you're like really, really tense or doesn't look like. But I yeah, I'm kind of I'm sort of in between at the moment. Which is great. Yeah, it's good. It's a good place. I feel I feel a good balance right now. And okay. It's, it's hard to keep that going as well because there's a lot going on right okay. now with me. And uh, yeah, but I, I think the key is being disciplined, not to the point of, of fanaticism, but I think being somewhat disciplined about how you work and what you do. So like, for instance, if you want to do, uh, if you want to do something uh, sporty, you want, yeah. to, you want to do some sports, or you want to do some exercise, you have to schedule it. Yeah. You have to make it, you have to make the time. Because if you, I think it comes down to basically decision. You go, you want to decide to do something. And, mm, yeah. But you don't want to decide to do it every day. It's like you get up in the morning at the same time every day because it takes away a certain amount of decision weight from you. Or you, you say, I'm working from this hour to this hour every day. And that kind of removes one more decision that you have to make during the day. So you don't have to, you don't have to think about it. Okay. It's like... I'll go to the gym in the morning and I have different different things that I do on different days. I swim or I ride uh, my bike or you know I go I ride on, on a Sunday as well. But you know, if you ask me what I'm doing on Sunday, like two years from now at eleven o'clock, I can almost tell you exactly where I'll be. But that kind of is good because it doesn't mean that I'm restricted in a way. It just means that I think I, it's actually sets you free, vice versa. Well there's because like, it's already like it's already scheduled, it's already planned. Yes, of course. You know, and then you're then, free to do whatever you want. You don't need to But it doesn't to mean do I schedule absolutely every minute of every day because you can't do that. Okay. It's that's the that that goes towards the extreme and the, the, yeah. the tension. So what's your typical like working day like? Uh, I'm up at six o'clock every day. Okay. Regardless of what day of the week it is and uh, maybe with the exception of Saturday. And uh, by nine o'clock, usually I'm in the gym. Or okay. I'll go swimming, or I'll, I'll go to I'll go ride my bike. Okay. But I'm I don't have time to ride my bike right now because I have a lot of work on, and uh, so what I'm doing is still dedicating one hour at least in the morning to doing some exercise. Okay. I find exercise in the morning really helps me to to mm -hmm, get going. Mm -hmm. And then usually by ten o'clock, I'm I'm sitting at my desk and I'm working. Okay. So and I work from, I work from ten, maybe until four four fifteen. Okay. And then I have to do the school run, and then maybe if I'm, if I'm up to it, after ten o'clock I'll do some more work. So ten to twelve maybe, depending on on project scheduling then. Okay. But I try to keep the evenings free. Okay. For family, so that's between say four thirty and 
9, 9.30. When so basically, yeah. like you don't overwork yourself to like 60 or 80 hours per week. No, I can't do that anymore. I used to. <laughs> I used to do that. And um, I paid so much for it. It was just... Uh, in fact, the quality of your work was down, you know, beyond a certain really? amount. Oh, yeah. You know, you can't work. And particularly when you get a little bit older, you know, you can, you can say you can work maybe... 10 hours in the day and not have it affect you too badly but if you're working 14 or 16 hours a day for for a week you you're not functioning yeah no, no for need, sure you need sleep you need rest you need to disconnect as well because i mean there are times where i definitely worked and even recently i worked you know till i mean i still keep my, my days free but then I'm, I'm working from 10 o'clock in the in the night to maybe two or three o'clock in the morning and then getting up at six again to do it all over again it's just too much I can't mm -hmm. I can't do that anymore so yeah. there there are moments you know that okay. I, I have to do that okay because oh. of deadlines or because of, of like, no but of course like, that's not that's not a great arrangement no it's not basis. a long-term strategy that works okay I, I think for me is it's important to have a good balance between exercise rest and family time and, mm -hmm. and work time mm -hmm. and yeah I mean I try to get eight hours done in the day, mm -hmm. and that's like my my dedication to the, the work mm -hmm. and to the clients. Definitely, yeah. yeah. But beyond that, um, you're it's counterproductive. I think you're actually yeah. you're you're making you're making life mm -hmm. needlessly hard on yourself. And so, what are the other? I really like your tip about like you know taking some uh, decision um, decision making kind of a need from off your plate so like scheduling yeah. things what are the, some other things that you think you need to schedule except like sports well um, or just basically like taking care of yourself yeah is. i mean there's that that you have to do that first i think that it got, it's got to be in in your like top two or three priorities because i mean everything comes from yourself yeah you know your work your your dedication to your family and and your ability to perform yeah anything Basically, you have to look after yourself. You have to look yeah. after your health. Make sure you're eating right, and make sure you're you're getting enough exercise and getting enough rest. Because mm -hmm. without that, yeah, your everything else starts to spiral out of control. I think that's mm -hmm. and that's the thing. That's how you keep the balance. I think. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think you also need to you need to schedule time in particularly for us. You need to schedule time for training and for for learning. Okay. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 100% with you on that. Yeah, because there's no stopping. Like, technology is, is one thing, but techniques are changing and, and expectations change with techniques and, and with, with new software, with new hardware, comes different expectations from your clients, from ourselves, you know, from other, from other people in our, in our industry. And there's constant, like, struggle with... with budgets from clients so you want to be able to at least keep up sure yeah and if not get out ahead of the the crowd yeah yeah because the technology is evolving you have to know how exactly it evolved and what you can do with that yeah 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 all these things the challenge is always i mean is find time to train but uh you know there this is a good example so you you can you can get a new piece of software that will half the time that it takes you to do a, a job that's so substance painter is a good example for that basically is decimated the amount of time it takes to texture anything. So you can you can do your 
take advantage of procedural uh, nature of, of it to do things way, way faster that you couldn't possibly do by hand anyway. And um, there's a trade-off in that is that sometimes everything starts to look the same, but I mean, that's irrelevant <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the benefit of that is, okay, so it takes you maybe uh, half the time to texture uh, a model using Substance Painter versus using a traditional method like just Photoshop. Uh, the problem is that in order to get there, in order to get to half the time, you have to invest a certain amount of time in learning the software, doing your training, watching videos. Because it's not, I mean, it's quite intuitive, but it's not that intuitive. It's not like, it's not without cost. No, without, no, no. It's not like press one button that's in the middle of the screen and it will do all the job. You still need to. Yeah, you still need to invest time in learning and, and, uh, and to get the best out of the software, you need to practice. But in order to get there, in order to get to that half the time, you have to invest time in learning. And a lot of the time, you don't have the time. So you're stuck in this kind of catch-22 situation where you, you're doing things that's taking you twice as long to do them, but you can't move because you don't have the time because it's yeah. taking you twice as long. Of course, you know, so. and yeah, yeah, of course, and then like uh, uh, you are much better off just investing this time and then saving yeah. like hours and hours. Well, the yeah, obviously it's easy to say, oh well, I just of have to course. invest the time. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, but then you have to take that time from somewhere else. So you yeah. have to say, okay, either I take it away from family, or I take it away from my health, or my well-being, or I take it away from work. Yeah, so like yeah. what? what's the trade-off again? Yeah, and also then uh, if you're in a short strategy or a long-term strategy, you know, like uh, uh, for your short-term strategy, maybe it's not great. Yeah. Because then you're, you, you'll have a stressful week because you'll have to spend this week training or yeah. like two weeks. But then long-term, like, you know, are you better paid? Yeah. Are you winning oh, wow, better? Absolutely. And are you winning the, better projects? This like, is the challenge. Uh, and I did this workshop yesterday about design thinking and it okay. actually it opened up this like a very visual representation of this problem is that companies have a lifespan so they go they grow and along a curve and then they reach yeah. a peak and then they start to drop okay and and they show maybe the, over the last 20 years the the lifespan of an average fortune 500 company is 15 years hmm. or 17 years maybe anyway let's that's, not a, that's, that's, that's not, not a lot that's not a lot that's not a lot and think about it that i've been uh, 24 years in the, in, industry. in the industry and I have been since 2003 16 years in uh, my own business my yes. own company so then it's like oh that's next year exactly wow <laughs> let's go okay I but better we're not talking about averages here Brandon right no, 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 like no, no, basically no. you can go either yeah but that's my my point is that if you don't evolve I mean you could have been like you know dead as a business uh, 15 years ago already could be I could have, I could have yeah <laughs> you're still like, up you in know. the prices of 2008 but yeah. I, I managed to weather that one fairly okay uh, but the the way to manage that is to reinvigorate the, the company so you don't you don't uh, you don't die on the vine you know you don't you don't yeah. you don't hit the, the peak and then drop when you do yeah, it's yeah, like, like as soon as you're on the up, things and uh, yeah as soon as you're on the up you're already thinking about the next thing and yeah. the next thing the curve is like and then it's like it's a it's a wavy mm -hmm. curve so one goes up and one goes down and then the next thing takes over it's like if you if you think about it in products when you launch your product, it's when you start designing your next product. 
Yeah. Because you know that that product has had the lifespan. And that's the same with skills as well. So my skills for, for 3D modeling constantly need uh, renovation. And my, any, anything related to my day-to-day to my, uh, -day work needs renovating because the next thing along could be, and it's not just in terms of your, your base skills, it's also a lot of the time about what you target as your, your market. So sure. a lot of people want to evolve also as artists, and I certainly do. I don't want to be just doing one type of work for the rest of my days. I want to experience that, other things. That, I think this is such a great thing to keep in mind, and thank you for this yeah. comment. I really appreciate <laughs> that. This is, I think this is so important to keep in mind that if once you're an artist, like you still have to keep evolving as an artist. Yeah, absolutely. Keep in mind what kind of artist do you want to be. Yeah. And like, no, so if you're a hard surface artist and you want to be uh, character artist, how do you how do you make that transition? How do you do it? It's like okay, they're almost two completely different tracks, but you have to start exactly with um, the same way you started with, yeah. with hard surface. You have to start building stuff. Yeah. And you have to start the, the basics, and then accept that for a certain amount of time you're going to suck. Yeah. At it. Of course. And, you know that's. Or even like with every new technology, yeah. like. Explore the technology, see where it can take you, and uh, and you're gonna suck with that. Yeah, definitely. you're gonna suck. Yeah, it's like, the first time. It's like learning a musical instrument as well. Sure. Because if you've never learned a musical instrument, yeah. it's a humbling experience. Yeah. Particularly if you're good at something else. Yeah. You know? So if you're a, if you're an accomplished athlete and mm -hmm. then you pick up a musical instrument, you know, the 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 humility that you have to have to practice with hours on end in order to improve is is. Like, I know you're His character practicing. building. His character building, you know? <laughs> character building. Yeah, I know you're practicing ukulele, right? That's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. very related, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you suck? Like, I suck big time, yeah. <laughs> but not even at all good. Yeah. But you know what? There is one last topic that I really wanted to touch, like, now before we round up. Okay. And it's related with, you know, like, client work. Yeah. Because you do a lot of work to keep winning your clients, I know. And yeah. like, re-winning them. Like, yeah, you know, like yeah. a, like a beautiful night on oh, yeah. a white horse. <laughs> I mean, to be in the business for 16 years, you surely mastered the skill, you know, yes, of like thanks. winning yeah. the clients. So uh, can you just quickly, you know, maybe give an overview of what's your process for actually winning the clients? Because that's a totally separate process from yeah. being an artist. Yeah, yeah, Because also as artists, we have to sell ourselves. Yeah. Very important. So what's your relationship with selling yourself as an artist? Yeah, I think it's something that is fundamental. That okay. if you can't talk to the client and assure them. Or a job, uh, or like an employer, sorry, yeah. Or an employer as Oh, well. it's just the same, like your client it's is your boss and employer and, yeah. I mean, your very first contact with, uh, with a new client, for instance, is vitally important. How you how you address them, how you how you talk about their their project. Uh, yeah. So somebody will uh, approach me and ask me to do something, and even if you're rejecting them, you have to reject uh, some projects. There's no way around that. So there's some some projects are not a good fit. Some sometimes it just doesn't work with your schedule or whatever. Uh, you have to treat every single client with utmost respect. First of all. Like, you can't, like, go, no way am I doing this, <laughs> this sucks. No, <laughs> you have to be at least, you know, let them down, let them down nicely. And I think treating people 
little bit of empathy and respect is very important first first of all and you have to put yourself in their shoes first of all because your your service is important to them for sure but also uh, you're you're trying to build a relationship with them so you very you your your interaction has to be you know very 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 on point at the very from the very start and you have to you have to treat it like uh, a relationship. When you meet somebody new, there's like a certain deference that you have. You know, you don't, unless you're very, very outgoing and, and very, uh, I guess, I don't know what the word is. Okay. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm lost on that word. Uh, you, you have to, you have to first of all test the water. So you have to establish a relationship and you do it little by little. Okay, you know? okay. But I think you have to put yourself in their shoes. That they're going to spend an awful lot of money on you, basically, so that you can produce something that's going to to be mm -hmm. useful to them. Thanks, Brendan. That's been like seriously really, really cool. Finally, oh, yeah, my ten questions, and your task is just to reply in one or two words. Okay. That's going to be real quick, short and sweet. They're going to be real hard now. <laughs> okay. So your favorite place in the world is. Uh, on the sound of my bike. Oh, well, I'm working, I listen to... Nothing. Okay. Sometimes music. <laughs> Sometimes podcasts. <laughs> okay, that's not two words. Mostly um, nothing. Mostly, mostly nothing. <laughs> that's good. My best way to gain inspiration is... Yeah, turn off my computer. Love it. My big life goal is... Um... I don't know, keep doing what I'm doing right now and get better. All right. Uh, no, actually, uh, let, me, let me rephrase that, get better. Right, get That's, better. that even fits the two words. Yeah. Uh, my favorite drink is? Uh, red wine. Right. Um, first thing I do in the morning after I wake up is? Uh, <laughs> I'm to <you> say that. <laughs> okay. I'm getting to that age. All right, next question. If I didn't become a digital artist, I would be fixing things. Right. Um, a book or movie that you can recommend? Uh, book or movie. Or just, I mean, go for a book. A book, okay, a book. Um, essentialism. Essentialism, essentialism. yes. Very but good. What I'm reading now. Oh, good. <laughs> I just finished it, it's very enjoyable. Alright. One thing that motivates me to work more? Um, no, achievement. I think uh, challenge. The challenge. challenge. Overcoming something difficult. Okay. And then top three things or places on your bucket list? Oh, my bucket list. Oh, that's a hard Oh, you one. can do one. Yeah, Japan is definitely on my bucket list. Japan. I'd love to go to Japan. All right. Done. High five, Brandon. Thank, Thank you, you so you. much. That was, that was amazing. That was great having you. Yeah, that was great fun. Yeah. All right. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks so much for listening, guys. And before I go, just a final reminder that Stylized Character Program by Art Heroes is open now. Check out academy.artheroes.co for all the information, for the dates, for the modules. And we're so looking forward to having all of you on board. Let's create something epic together. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Art Heroes Podcast. Check out www.artheroes.co for show notes, more interviews, and free tools made for you by our team of mentors. Tune in next week for more inspiration, and keep up the great work, hero! 